So we're going to continue with Samsara, Nirvana, and Buddha Nature. And last week, we started a new chapter. We started Chapter 12, called The Mind and Its Potential. And we talked last week about the mind's potential. Okay. So this week, we're going to get into, is liberation possible? Okay. Because all of this is going to relate to Buddha nature and uh, the path. Okay, so let's begin visualizing the merit field and the space in front. And all the sentient beings in human form, not buzzing around. They're surrounding us. We're going to lead them in taking refuge in the three jewels. So although all sentient beings are very different, they want different things, they have different interests and different dispositions, they suffer from different things, but they're all the same in wanting happiness and not suffering. So if we focus on that, it can ease the attachment, anger, and apathy in our own mind and give us space to have compassion, wanting them to be free of suffering and love, wanting them to have happiness. But to have those mental states of love and and compassion, which make us feel good as well as help others, we have to get in the habit of noticing our afflictions, preferably as soon as they arise when they're very small, and then applying the antidote to them. So nobody else can do that for us. That's something we have to do ourselves. We have to see when an affliction arises in our mind. And then we have to remember to apply one of the antidotes. And if we can't remember an antidote, it means... We need to go back and study the texts more, especially the books teaching 
uh, the Mahayana thought training and then practice those antidotes so that we remember them. So let's uh, happily take upon that responsibility ourselves. to watch our mind, to catch the afflictions, apply the antidotes, and also to, to practice the various teachings that we've learned on how to generate love and compassion. Instead of being shy about this, we should really, um, yeah, be brave and take on that responsibility. So with that kind of attitude, let's share the Dharma this evening. Okay, so if you uh, looked over what you heard last night or last week, you'll remember that uh, in the book, His Holiness talked about the nature of the mind being uh, clear and cognizant. So it is able to reflect objects and engage in them. And so by its nature, it can know things. And what prevents it from knowing things are obscurations. And some of these obscurations are external things. Okay, the wall, far distance, far away in time. And some of them are internal ones. Our mind being... uh, overwhelmed by distraction or one mood or the other and so unable to really um, concentrate on anything and instead focusing our minds on objects of anger and objects of attachment, which doesn't do us very much good, as we all know, because we've all done that. Multiple times, yeah? Yeah. Okay, so then the next section is called, Is Liberation Possible? Okay, so we know that that the, uh, you know, there are things blocking the mind, yeah? But are those things the nature of the mind? If they're the nature of the mind, then they can never be removed, in which case... You know, we can never know more, realize more than we do. But, on the other hand, if they're adventitious, meaning that they are uh, not rooted 
in the nature of the mind, then it's possible to affect them. So that leads us into, is liberation possible? Because we have to do something with these afflictions to get to liberation. So to review disturbing emotions and wrong views are called afflictions because when they arise in the mind, they afflict us and disturb our mental peace. Okay, so there you're hearing why, you know, the term is translated as afflictions. Yeah. So they're inner afflictions, you know, they're coming from inside. So in addition, they motivate us to do actions that disturb and afflict the peace of others. But fortunately, these afflictions can be removed, enabling us to attain liberation, a true state of peace that does not fluctuate according to external circumstances. Okay, so here, you know, a state of peace is regarded as something that is unchanging because things that change go up and down and in and out and this way and that and better and worse and you never know what in the world is happening with them. So the, you know, the state of peace is something that's constant, something that, that is permanent, yeah. And here it's not just any old permanent thing. It happens to be the nature of the mind. Okay. So that, remember when we talked about what nirvana is, yeah, the nature of the mind. Okay, the purified nature of the mind that's been purified. Okay, so several factors make liberation possible. So the first one, the basic or true nature of the mind is pure. Yeah, do you feel like your basic or true nature of your mind is pure? Yeah. You think that? Do you have glimpses of some kind of purity? Do you just believe that? Do you doubt it? Have you ever thought about it before? Okay. So it's an interesting thing to ask ourselves. But here, uh, His Holiness making this, this statement. The basic or true nature of the mind is pure. Okay. What about when you have garbage in your mind? What happens to your to the basic pure nature of your mind then? Is, is it huh? It's what? Up obscured. Okay. Yeah, it's pure, but it's obscured. Does that make it really pure? Or does that make it obscured? Or can it be both pure and obscured at the same time? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay, so fortunately, these afflictions can be removed, enabling us to attain liberation, 
a true state of peace that does not fluctuate according to external circumstances. Okay, and several factors make liberation possible. Okay, so the basic pure nature of the mind is pure. So basic nature of the mind is clear like water. Clear like water. That means it doesn't have a color. Is that what he's talking about by clear? What does clear mean? I'm just giving you some things to think about here. Yeah. Dirt in a glass of water isn't the nature of the water and can be removed. No matter how murky the water may be, its essential quality of clarity is never lost. So we know that, but when we look at a muddy cup of water, yeah, it's pretty muddy, isn't it? Yeah. Do we automatically think, oh, the basic nature is is pure or it can be purified? Or do we focus more on the dirt? Yeah. What do you do regarding yourself? Do you think, do you focus on the, on the pure nature of the mind? Or do you focus on the dirt and criticize yourself? Okay, think about it. Yeah. Usually we'll throw the water away together with the mud. And then we don't have either of them. Ourselves with the dirt, and then trash on ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> we identify with the dirt and then think we are the dirt. Mm-hmm. And then what happens? Then the misery starts. Yes. <laughs> A lot of misery starts. Yeah. And do we ever really check if what we're thinking is true? When we think that, you know, well, the nature of the water is is the dirt or the nature of the mind is the afflictions, yeah, do we ever really think about that and come to a rational conclusion? Or do, are we just emotionally reacting to seeing some dirt and then going into our favorite thing of self-criticism? Okay, no matter how murky the water may be, its essential quality of clarity is never lost. This basic conventional nature of the mind is clear and cognizant. It is the basis upon which awakening can be attained. And as such, it is the ultimate source of our confidence that awakening is possible. So that clear, pure nature of the mind, yeah, is if we can really develop confidence that it exists, then that becomes like a very strong basis um, which to think, oh, I can become awakened. I'm not a lost cause, okay? And awakening is possible. Why? Because... The mind in its very nature 
is is clear. Okay, but we have to think about this, yeah, and kind of see how it fits together. Um, because if we don't, then our confidence in the ability to become awakened is iffy. Yeah, because as soon as afflictions come, then we go back to our old way of thinking. Mm-hmm. So inanimate objects such as stones and trees cannot attain awakening because they lack the qualities of clarity and cognizance that only a mind possesses. So he's saying something here. There's something quite special about the mind, you know, as the basis of uh, the possibility of attaining liberation, that the thermos and the gong and a bank full of money uh, don't have that ability. Yeah. Why? Because they lack the qualities of clarity and awareness. So something special about the the mind. So that's the first quality that makes uh, liberation possible. Basic or true nature of the mind is pure. Second quality is the afflictions are adventitious, yeah, which means they are not part of the nature of the mind. There's something extra added on. So, uh, you know, a scarf is something added on to your head. It's not... It's not the nature of Buddha bear. It's something added on. Yeah. So something that is not the nature can also be removed. Yeah. If it was the nature, yeah, then you couldn't remove it. Okay. Like, uh, you know, the color of Buddha bear's fur is one nature with Buddha bear. So you can't take away the color and still have Buddha bear. You can add another color on top of it, but you can't take away this color. Okay? So the afflictions are adventitious. They are not part of the mind. So the afflictions, they're like, you know, when we can't think clearly, we're like this. We're walking around all day with a blanket over our head. Okay, but the blanket is adventitious since it's not part of the nature of the mind. (laughs) Okay, so Dharmakirti says, the nature of the mind is clear light. The defilements are adventitious. That's in Pramnavartika. So afflictions have not penetrated into the basic nature of the mind. The fact that afflictions are not always present in the mind indicates that every instance of the mind's clarity and cognizance is not associated with afflictions. Wow. Yeah. You think of your mind as having moments of clarity? That, you know, moments where it's not associated with afflictions? Have you experienced times when your mind is feels very calm, very clear? It's 
completely satisfied. It's not grasping. It's not pushing away. Okay. So the fact that afflictions are not always present in the mind indicates that every instance of the mind's clarity and cognizance is not associated with afflictions. Sometimes our minds are peaceful and calm. Wow. Yeah. If we could discover the way to keep them peaceful and calm, that would be something good, huh? Afflictions may arise and after a while pass away. If they were inherently part of the true nature of the mind, they would always be present and it would be impossible to eliminate them. But this is not the case. Okay? So if the afflictions were part of the nature of the mind, yeah, then you couldn't separate the two. Yeah. But it's like the color of, of Buddha bear's fur. You can't separate, take this color out and have the fur. I mean, this is the nature of, the, of uh, Buddha bear's fur. <laughs> okay. So because the afflictions are not always in the mind and because there's times when our mind can be calm, it's showing us that uh, the, the afflictions are not the nature of the mind and that it's possible, uh, well, it's showing us that they aren't always there. We still have to figure out if it's possible to remove them, okay? Maybe we know they're adventitious, but we aren't yet sure, can they be removed? Hmm. Okay, so the purest form of mind is the fundamental innate clear light mind. In ordinary beings, this subtle clear light mind is neutral. It has never been and can never become non-virtuous. However, by engaging in special yogic practices, it can be transformed into a virtuous state. From this perspective, too, we see that the defilements are not inherent in the nature of the mind. If the defilements were inherent in the nature of the mind, then you could uh, never eliminate them. So you could never have a neutral state of mind. You could never have a virtuous state of mind because the afflictions would be totally part of the nature of the mind. But we know we can have virtuous mental states and we... Uh, yeah, and we know that, that we can change the mind, so the afflictions are not its nature. Okay, so he's talking about here um, the extremely subtle mind, also known as the fundamental innate mind of clear light. So this is the subtlest state of mind, and it is... In the Galu tradition, they say that it is only manifest when the coarse states of mind have dissolved. And what makes the coarse state of mind dissolve? In us ordinary beings, the winds, yeah, or in the elements uh, of the body sustain 
the course, the um, course states of mind. And when at the time of death, the uh, elements of the body lose their power, or during special yogic uh, practices, when the winds are absorbed, then the coarse mental states uh, also absorb, and, and they are not functional at that time. Okay? So it's possible to, to actually dissolve everything to get to that uh, fundamental innate mind of clear light. So we've died a, a lot of times in samsara, but have we ever noticed that fundamental innate mind of clear light during the death process? Probably not. <laughs> yeah. Okay, then, so the first factor in, yeah, that it, is liberation possible is the basic or true nature of the mind is pure. The second is that the afflictions are adventitious. And then the third is that it's possible to cultivate powerful antidotes. So not only are the afflictions not the nature of the mind, but it's possible to learn the antidotes to remove them. Okay, so that's, that's what Dharma practice is all about, learning those antidotes and developing skill and applying them. Okay, so uh, it is possible to cultivate powerful antidotes, realistic and beneficial mental states that eradicate the afflictions. Saying that defilements are adventitious means that when the suitable conditions are present, the defilements can be removed from the basic nature of the mind. Okay, so we had the scarf, you know, and uh, covering the nature of the mind. And uh, what, what's going to remove the scarf? Yeah. If you listen to His Holiness's teachings, the ones that last week, uh, he was really emphasizing praying is not going to remove the scarf. Yeah, I pray, dear Buddha, please make the scarf disappear. Now, Buddha can't do that because it's stuck on our head. <laughs> yeah. Okay, praying won't do it. But praying helps. At least it gives us some direction to go in in our lives. Yeah. Saying mantra, doesn't limit, doesn't make the scarf go away. Yeah. Saying helps the mind. It calms the mind and so on. Okay, it creates merit, but it's not removing the, the mantra. Can't remove the scarf. Okay, so you have to find the right antidote to the to, to the afflictions. Yeah, because not just any any old antidote or any old virtuous state of mind will do. So in this case, to remove it, you need some power to go like that. Okay. Yeah. If you just go like this underneath, it's still there. 
Okay. So saying that the defilements are adventitious means that when suitable conditions are present, the defilements can be removed from the basic nature of the mind. It does not mean that at one time afflictions did exist uh, or did not exist and later came into existence. So there's no uh, legend or story in Buddhism that once we were pure beings and then something with an apple and a snake happened and now we are defiled beings, okay? There's not that idea in Buddhism. Okay, it does not mean that at one time the afflictions did not exist and later they came into existence. Because if that were the case, that at one point there were no afflictions and later the mind had afflictions, then what caused the mind to have the afflictions? What brought the afflictions to the mind? It would need a, a cause. Yeah. So what's the cause that would make an uncontaminated and unpolluted mind, state of mind all of a sudden have the nature be in the nature of afflictions and pollutions? Yeah. I mean, you can't point to anything. People try, you know. They say there's a creator God or there's Lucifer or there's some external being. But does some external being have the power to pollute our minds? No, you know. I mean, how do you deliberately impute, impute a mind? It's not like taking something and putting it physically in there. You know, how can another be another being take afflictions and put them in, into our mind. It, it doesn't work that way. Okay, so rather afflictions are beginningless and has, have continually obscured our minds until now. So some people, you know, when you talk about beginningless time, when you talk about beginningless rebirth, some people go, but there has to be a beginning. There has to be a beginning. And when people say that, I say, why? Why does there have to be a beginning? Yeah, I mean, can you posit some reason why there has to be a beginning? Because if you say there's a beginning, then you have to be able to say what caused the beginning. And if something caused the beginning, then the beginning wasn't the beginning because there was a prior cause to it. Okay, so why? So when we, when we look, when we ask these questions, you know, why does there have to be a beginning? When we look, it's because the idea of, the begin, of a beginning makes me feel better. That's about the only reason we can come up with. Yeah. Why Why would there have to be a beginning? Yeah? Because it appears like things have beginnings. Like the, the baby is born. Yeah. At one point the baby's not there and then it's there. Right. So it looks like a beginning. It looks like a beginning. 
But if you trace it back, did the baby come out of nowhere? No. You know, if you trace back the causes of the baby, you go back and back and back and back and back, and can you find one original cause? You know, what are you going to point to as an original cause? And so here's where we get into, you know, the theories that there's one universal mind out of which we all came, or one uh, fundamental substance, primordial substance, out of which we came, or a creator who created, created us. But in all of those ideas about how, how there was a beginning, you see that there has to be a cause, which means the beginning isn't the beginning. Yeah, it had a cause. And when you keep going back, you can't find an initial cause. Yeah, it's beginningless. So, you know, when we hear that in coming to Buddhism, oh, our defilements are beginningless. Yeah. One part of our mind goes, no, they have to have a beginning. You know, God did something or Lucifer did something. Well, hmm, okay. Uh, you know, they have to have a beginning. Yeah, but why? Yeah, when you, and what I find is an extremely good example is you remember in math class the number line? Okay, and so zero's kind of in the middle, but there's not really a middle of the number line because to have a middle, you need two f certain ends. Yeah, but okay, let's just say we start at zero. If you go this way into the negative numbers, you never reach uh, an end. There's always one more negative number. If you go this way into the positive numbers. Again, there's always one more. So you can say there has to be an, a, an end on either ends, but what you can't point to one. Okay. So if we can't find it, then we have to adjust our thinking and realize it doesn't exist. Yeah. Because continuing to say, well, it has to be there, it has to be there, even though we've explored every possible option to find it, doesn't make much sense, does it? Yeah. It's what my mom would call knocking your head against the wall. Yeah, I'm going to find a beginning, I'm going to find a beginning. I'm gonna... You know? The, if you knock your head against the wall, the wall is going to win. Okay. Okay, so rather the afflictions are beginningless and have continuously obscured our minds until now. They can be ceased completely when the proper antidote is applied. So in praise to the sphere of reality, who wrote that text? Yeah, you're reading the book. Nagarjuna. Okay. So in praise to the sphere of reality, Nagarjuna compares the mind to asbestos cloth, 
which is filled with dirt. Now, nowadays, people don't want to be around asbestos. Am I pronouncing it right? Asbestos. Yeah, because it's, it can be poisonous, especially if you inhale it. Okay, but in ancient times, they didn't know that. Okay, so an asbestos cloth that is filled with dirt, when you put, uh, when you put it, there's the word it that's missing, okay? When put into fire. Oh, yeah, when put into fire. Okay, that's okay. So when put into fire, the dirt will burn, but not the cloth. Similarly, the fire of the wisdom-realizing emptiness will destroy defilements, but the clear light mind will remain unscathed. Yeah. Has anybody seen, ever seen an asbestos cloth in fire? It would be interesting to see that. Yeah. Because apparently, yeah, it's unscathed, but all the dirt in it just... Interesting way to wash your cloth, huh? <laughs> okay. Similarly, the fire of the wisdom realizing emptiness will destroy defilements, but the clear light mind will remain unscathed. Afflictions are rooted in the ignorance that misapprehends reality. So here we're coming into another reason why there are antidotes yeah, and why afflictions can be eliminated, okay? Because they're rooted in, the na- in, in ignorance that misapprehends reality. So ignorance grasps phenomena as inherently existent, whereas reasoning proves that in reality phenomena are empty of inherent existence. So that means that what ignorance apprehends and grasps does not exist. Yeah. And wisdom sees that it doesn't exist. And wisdom is can be a valid cognizer, yeah, because it is supported by reasoning and logic. Yeah. It's not supported by, well, Buddha said so. Yeah, or my teacher said so, or it sounds right. Okay, so it's we can see for ourselves by following the reasoning um, that empty that uh, phenomena are empty of inherent existence, and thus ignorance apprehends what does not exist, and the wisdom that realizes how things do exist that they're empty of inherent existence can overpower and eliminate that ignorance. Okay, so ignorance exists now, but ignorance can have an end. So the continuity of the mind never has an end because there is nothing that can stop the continuity of the mind. Okay, Uh, you know... Our lives have an end. We can stop the continuity of our lives, but we cannot stop stop the continuity of our mind. So right now, the ignorance is covering the, the pure nature of the mind, but ignorance can be removed without destroying the nature of the mind. 
Okay. Why can ignorance be removed? Because it apprehends the opposite of what actually exists. Mm-hmm. I'm not entirely clear how you're using this word pure because it seems like it's being, it's a little bit ambiguous. Are you talking about the conventional nature of the mind or the ultimate nature of the mind? Yeah, here we're talking about the ultimate nature. But sometimes you can talk about it. The pure can refer to the conventional nature of the mind too. Yeah, it goes both ways. Just like the term clear light, Sometimes it refers to the conventional nature of the mind, sometimes the ultimate nature. Kind of have to tell in, in the context. So in that first um, number one, the basic or true nature of the mind is pure. That's referring to emptiness, the emptiness of the mind? Yeah. Or the clear, clear I think aspect it's, of the I mind? I think it could be referring to both of them. Yeah. In the sense that the, um, the conventional nature of the mind if you pare it down to what's actually there, it's just clarity and cognizance. So from that perspective, if it's just clarity and cognizance, the afflictions are not in the nature of the mind. They're adventitious. Yeah. Similarly, you know, the ultimate nature of the mind, the emptiness of the mind, yeah, is not, cannot be stained in an of itself. Things are pure of inherent existence. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I'm, I was really struggling to find the difference between this first um, example and this first line, the, true, the basic or true nature of the mind is pure and the afflictions are adventitious. Maybe it's getting at the same thing, but from different points of yeah. view. Yeah. And okay. it's starting out with the nature of the mind is pure. If you don't start out with that, saying the advent, the, the uh, afflictions are adventitious, you don't know well, what, what, are, what are they covering to start with? Yes. Are, you know, what's the basis? I there? guess what was confusing is it never says in that first uh, example or point that, that we're talking about emptiness. So it talks about the conventional nature of the mind being clear and cognizant. Mm-hmm. It's not, it doesn't, specifically say we're talking about emptiness here, the yeah. empty nature. Of the I mind. think it could be either one as far as I've understood. Okay. Could go. Uh, you know, be- because, I mean, can you have a pure con- conventional nature of the mind and an impure emptiness? Can you have a pure emptiness and then, you know, a polluted, an inherently polluted uh, conventional nature? Yeah, I take your point. Uh, it's just I was trying to pin down what is that first one actually yeah, talking about. Yeah, yeah I, I, I've i struggled with that too because, like I said, you hear it and it seems like it could go either way and apply either way. Yashila, do you have any thoughts about that? This this very statement, the issue of the mind is clearly like, the developments of advantages, they uh, they seem to appear in different contexts. Mm-hmm. And here we are quoting Dharmakirti. Mm-hmm. Dharmakirti doesn't speak of emptiness. That's true. Yeah, yeah. so he's, in his case, clear light is the conventional clear light, clear light. of cogniz- cognition and awareness. 
-hmm. And the afflictions are advantageous in that they do not enter into that fabric. Mm -hmm. You can be removed. Now, when we speak of the same thing in another context, where we say, Prasangika uh, Madhamika, then uh, we could make the case that this clear light can have a double meaning. Both, both the one that Dharmakirti accepts, which is also acceptable, but it goes a little further in that, not only that, but the very mind itself, including everything else, is also uh, empty of inherent existence. Yeah. And because of that, the defilements are advantageous because defilements are rooted in ignorance, which holds just the opposite of it, yeah. which has no base. So they become advantageous in in double way. Mm-hmm. One, in the ca- in the case of the previous one, in being not not entering into the nature the, the conventional the nature of the mind. basic mind. Uh-huh. Another, in that they are rooted in misunderstanding, and thus they mm-hmm. can be rooted away. Yeah. So advantageous could also take two double two forms. Mm. Now, when we use this in in the highest yoga tantra, mm-hmm. similar statements come there. The clay light is the most subtle clay light. Yeah, the subtle one. And in relation to that, not just the afflictions, all the other minds, even the minds that we are functioning on, they are mm-hmm. all adventitious. Yeah. Even including the very, very, uh, counted among the subtlest ones, sparing the very uh, inner clay light mind, mm-hmm. sparing that even the last three of the dissolution mm-hmm. minds are also counted as subtlest, even they are adventitious. Yeah. So their adventitious doesn't necessarily uh, mean only in relation to afflictions, but mm-hmm. all gross minds, including the afflictions. Yeah. Good, thank you. So you can see, you can look at the topic from many different points of view. Yeah, and Sutrayana and Tantrayana are, are going to be different here. Okay, so since ignorance does not rest uh, on, a, on a valid foundation, it can be overcome by the wisdom realizing emptiness. When ignorance is severed from its root, the afflictions that depend on it are also eradicated and can never return. Excellent qualities such as compassion cannot be undermined by wisdom because they rest on a valid foundation. Okay. Yeah, because we might say, well, you know, you can get rid of ignorance. Why doesn't compassion disappear too? Yeah. Well, to, to have anger or uh, jealousy or something like that, you need to have ignorance, yeah? If there's no ignorance, then, you know, because they say ignorance is like the the root, you know, or the, the trunk, and then the, the, the afflictions grow out of that. So if you don't have a basic misapprehension of how phenomena exist, then all the other kind of misapprehensions like ignorance and jealousy and attachment and so on, they have no basis to, to stand on. Okay. 
So then if you can get rid of the ignorance, then everything else disintegrates too. That's nice, isn't it? You don't have to remove every single affliction one by one. That would take a long time. There's 84,000 of them. Okay. But here, because they all kind of come back to the same root, when you, you cut that, then they're all, they're all gone. They all collapse. Okay, so when ignorance is severed from its root, the afflictions that depend on it are also eradicated and can never return. Excellent qualities such as compassion cannot be undermined by wisdom because they rest on a valid foundation. Okay, so you can usually at our level when we have compassion, there's very, there's very often grasping at true existence in our mind at the same time. Okay, that that can happen because the grasping at true existence is actually a a, uh, a neutral mental factor. Okay, and so you can have compassion, which is a virtuous one, with that that grasping. If the grasping were a non-virtuous one. You can't have a virtuous and non-virtuous mental factors manifest in the same mental state at the same time. Okay. But we like to think, oh, ignorance is the root. It must be negative. Yeah. But if it were negative, then, you know, we couldn't have any of the virtuous states that manifest as ordinary beings. May I add something? Mm. Uh, in our discussion about the clear light, at the Dharmakirti's level, clear light there with emptiness not in the picture, mm -hmm. it, the clear light, in the English term clear light gives us some sort of a clear light, right? <laughs> That's very misleading. Uh -huh. And what can we do? Because in Tibetan also we say we sell. It, yeah. Speak into the microphone. Okay. Even Tibetan term is vessel. V is light. Right. Cell is clear. Mm -hmm. And uh, what better translation can there be? <laughs> but it's very misleading. And so, uh, in the case of Dharmakirti, clear light is uh, that the mind is clear in its basic nature, like they are clear water, mm -hmm. but the dirts are advantageous. They mm -hmm. can be they can be uh, settled down or removed, filtered, filtered, filtered out. Mm -hmm. Now, in the case of uh, the deeper understanding, say in the case of Prasangika Madhimika, uh, Prasangika Madhimika not touching mm, Tantra. Yeah. So Sutra Prasangika Madhimika. Mm -hmm. They would have uh, another uh, thing to bring in for clear light, mm -hmm. that is emptiness. Mm. Now emptiness, not not a consciousness, but something which we considered unconditioned, permanent, is called clear light. Mm -hmm. So in that regard, how it is clear light, or rather clear, is that uh, and that usually we say mind is naturally clear, mind is naturally pure, mm -hmm. but the Tibetan emphasis is. The mind is pure of the dirt in terms of its nature. 
So the yeah. the clarity is uh, contrasted with a dirt, mm -hmm. uh, with, with an impurity, and that impurity is nature impurity, not natural impurity, nature impurity. Natural purity. Yeah, yeah. Nat nature impurity, not natural impurity. Now I'm choosing to say s little different. Wait a minute, yeah. Because uh, you're saying that natural impurity. No. Natural purity. Na um, nature impurity. Natural impurity. Nature, nature. Not making it as an adjective, but nature impurity. I'm, nature impurity. Yeah, for lack of a better way of saying it, I'm making it up. Mm -hmm. Nature impurity, because we point to inherent existence itself as a dirt. Yeah. And but which is not existent. Yeah. And that dirt is dirt having to do with the nature of the basic nature of the thing. Mm -hmm. Because the empty emptiness, it it's just the opposite of emptiness, which is the very basic nature of everything. Mm -hmm. And and calling it dirt the inherent existence, the object of negation, the dirt, that becomes a dirt by way of being associated with the nature. Nature of the thing, nature of whatever the particular object is. Except things are not inherently existent. Yes, that's, that's the reason why uh, uh, when we speak of chuku, uh, truth body, yeah, Dharmakaya. We speak of Ngonyuku. Now, the Ngonyuku. Yeah, the nature Dharmakaya. Yeah. We call it nature Dharmakaya, but Ngonyuku has two, two, two types. Yeah. Two types. And both of them has to have to be explained in terms of being free from defilements. Mm -hmm. One is free from adventitious defilement, that is the afflictions. Mm -hmm. One is free from nature defilement. Mm -hmm. That is emptiness. Okay. So the inherent existence, which is not existent, yet at the same time it is referred to as dirt, in relation to, uh, in relation to, making case for the the other uh, nature. Rangshin namdaki ngonyuko. No, Niku is nature, uh, truth by. Yeah. yeah. they using the term nature would be a little problematic because that way uh, it would take away what we, uh, what we might use for the subsection within it that has uh, to do with freedom from not the adventitious. Defilement, but the other defilement. That other defilement is nature defilement, which is in reality non existent as opposed to the adventitious defilement. Mm -hmm. uh, yet at the same time, the two kayas within the truth body, mm -hmm. uh, nature truth body, are referred to from the perspective of being free from certain defilement. Mm -hmm. uh, so for one, it is the advantageous defilement. For the other, it has to be a non-existent defilement, which is called 
and natural defilement, mm-hmm. not natural defilement. Mm-hmm. So that's very emphasized in the Tibetan texts, mm-hmm. uh, and that's how the two kayas are referred to. But very often um, that's uh, skipped, and instead of calling it natural defilement, just to 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 point to something else, it's called natural defilement, and then what do we point to as the natural development is not clear. Yeah, um, it's hard for me to tell when you're saying natural defilement and nature defilement. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard. So what I meant is uh, when we speak of the two types of what Venerable is calling nature true body, mm-hmm. uh, when we speak of those two kayas within the nature true body, yeah. We are speaking of them as being a state of freedom from two defilements. One yeah. is adventitious defilement, the other is natural defilement. If you call it natural defilement, then what would the what would that defilement be? Yeah, there's no natural defilement. Yeah, <laughs> um, there sh- there should be natural defilement because there is a freedom from it. If we so yeah, but the, but then it sounds like you're saying the basic nature of the mind is defiled. Uh, what it comes to is the basic the basic nature of the mind is uh, undefiled, mm-hmm. undefiled by what would be a defilement in the form of inherent existence. Existence, yeah. So that's the reason why I insist on calling it nature defilement, freedom from nature defilement, mm-hmm. and freedom from adventitious defilement, other than natural. Mm. Uh, that's just what I thought okay. to bring it up. <laughs> <laughs> and I think with the Nuoniko that, uh, you know, one is referring to the... Uh, the natural purity of the mind, the mm-hmm. emptiness of inherent existence yes. of yes, the mind. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, and the other is the true is true cessation. cessation. Yes, both of them have to ha- has to be both of them have to be paired with a defilement. Yeah. Now we have to come up with that defilement for the natural. <laughs> oh, that one. <laughs> so you, yeah. So then you come up with a defilement that doesn't exist. Yes, which I call nature defilement. Yeah. Okay. Just, just. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But in the scriptures, yeah. in the scriptures, they emphasize this very much. Rangshin the, uh-huh. the nature itself is is pure. The, the, the yeah. nature, the nature itself is called the defilement of which everything is free from, and that freedom is called natural freedom. Say that sentence again. That the nature itself is referred to as defilement. Uh What would be its what would be its nature if it weren't to be lacking of inherent existence? Would be inherent existence would be its nature. If things were not to be empty of inherent existence, their nature would be, there would be no other choice but for them to be inherently, inherent existence to be their nature. Uh 
yeah. that very nature, which would have been, in if if it weren't for emptiness, mm -hmm. is now called the defilement, of which that kaya is oh, freedom of. Yeah. Okay. What's the purpose of doing of saying it like that? Uh, one purpose. purpose one purpose serve? that serves is by pairing those two freedoms. Two, With two, kind two of kinds of defilements. Okay. Yeah, and that's exactly how it is explained in there. Mm. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Just sharing. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, I didn't make it. <laughs> yeah? Thinking of it in terms of grammar, I think it's the distinction between saying the defilement is natural versus the defilement refers to the nature. When you say natural uh -huh. defilement, it's a little bit ambiguous which one it is. So I think that's mm -hmm. that's just what the um, mm -hmm. changes. Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> Everybody understand? <laughs> okay. Uh Okay, excellent. Okay, so excellent qualities such as compassion cannot be undermined by wisdom because they rest on a valid foundation. Dharmakirti affirms all flaws being susceptible to decrease and increase have counterforces. Hence, due to having inculcated the counterforces through habituating oneself to them, at some point, the pollutants should be eliminated. The nature of the mind is such that it is free from pollutants, and by nature it, in other words, a mind that has realized emptiness, has a real or undistorted object. As such, it cannot be counteracted by what is opposite to it, because even if one were to attempt to do so, the mind is naturally inclined towards its nature. Okay, so here it's a Dharmakirti quote, but but uh, in the last verse, when it says the nature of the mind is, is such that it is free of pollutants, and by nature, there it's uh, saying a, a mind that has realized emptiness. So maybe it, it shouldn't be worded that way. Yeah, what should it be? A mind that has realized selflessness. Okay. Okay. And then there's reflection. So, one, reflect that the basic or true nature of the mind is pure and untainted. Okay. So, Geshe-la, are you saying that's referring to the conventional or the ultimate or both? The first line in the reflection. Oh, I see. Since it is not the Dharmakirti or in a sense, Yeah, could be either. Okay. Then two, consider that the afflictions that plague your mind 
and cause so many disturbances in your life are adventitious. They are not embedded in the nature of the mind. Okay? And then, so there it's, it could also be talking about ultimate and conventional nature of the mind. But especially, I would think, the conventional nature. And then three, reflect that it is possible to cultivate powerful antidotes to each and every affliction and obscuration. And four, conclude that the possibility to attain liberation exists within you and that given your precious human life with all conducive factors for practicing the path, you have the ability to attain liberation and full awakening. So that's what you want the conclusion to be. In this context, in the reflection, when it says it's possible to cultivate powerful antidotes, it's meaning the wisdom realizing emptiness for every single one, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, we cultivate the antidotes for each affliction because those are easier and we use them uh, until we realize emptiness. So, I mean, just thinking of just listening to them as a practice for my, for me to to be really absolutely clear that this is not uh, that's what that this means in this third point to reflect on the powerful antidotes of wisdom as opposed to the powerful antidote of reflecting on the ugliness of the object uh-huh. are two entirely different yeah. minds. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When it says in the last paragraph of the Dhammakriti quote that it, the nature of the mind is such that it's free of pollutants and by nature it has a real object. Mm-hmm. What is that real object referring em- emptiness to? Emptiness. Or a, a real undistorted object. Yeah. So I think it's referring to emptiness there. Well, but selflessness for Dharmakirti. Yeah. Could you argue that if it was the nature of the mind to be naturally inclined towards its nature, which I'm guessing is being free of pollutants, then wouldn't, since beginning of this time, the mind would have just become pure if that's if the, if the mind is naturally inclined towards its nature? Uh, inclined doesn't mean it becomes. Yeah, when when the wind blows, the tree inclines. Yeah, but does the tree fall to the ground? Does the tree become the wind? Yeah. So it's more saying that w- when the right antidote is applied, it works. Yeah. Yeah, because if it were, oh, well, the mind is inclined towards virtue by its very nature, then we don't need to do anything. But that that is what we've been doing since beginning of this time, is nothing. <laughs> and look where it's gotten us. Okay, anything else? Huh? What? <laughs> if our condition has been like this under the under the rule of the afflictions as slaves of afflictions and the actions induced by them mm-hmm. from beginning less time yeah. what hope do we have <laughs> <laughs> because there is an antidote yeah there has always been antidote hmm? <laughs> <laughs> 
antidote, the existence, the existence of antidote has, has always been with the existence of the afflictions. But, but has always been. The antidote has always been present. Present. Possible. It's been possible, mm -hmm. but it hasn't been manifested in our mind yet. Yeah. The antidote doesn't exist outside. Yeah, yeah we are speaking just of the general existence of the antidote, not necessarily within our within our continuum. Another question is, how do we back up or make the case that either that that either it is same that everything has no end? Doesn't end mm -hmm. because it will continue with, with continue as something, mm -hmm. and in, in which case, mind's continuance for eternity is not a special thing. Or we have to make a case that mind is special in that it's like it is. It, it's its beginning is not known. Mm -hmm. Likewise, not 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 there. Likewise, it's. And is not there to be a special case. Uh, so, why is mind special in that it cannot be severed, whereas others mm. can be? I, I think that here's where it when they talk about uh, the, a continuum of a similar type, mm -hmm. yeah, and a continuum of substance. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, the 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 thermos, um, you know. It can continue momentarily as a, as a similar type as a thermos, but at some point the whole thing can be destroyed. So there's an end to the continuity of the thermos. There's not something of the same uh, similar type being produced in the next moment. But then when it disintegrates, its parts continue on. So, you know, and they just reform and do other things. So likewise, in the case of mind... <laughs> no, the mind doesn't fragment so, into so, different so parts. So <laughs> in the case of the mind, uh, every moment is different, and every moment mind can take different forms. Uh, and thus, there is... What do you mean, take different forms? At one, say, at one point, it takes the form of bodhicitta, at another point, it takes the form of the wisdom, understanding. Yeah, but there's always a clear and cognizant nature. That doesn't change. So, you know, in that way, there, you, you can never cut that. You know, the might, mind might change virtue to non-virtue, mm -hmm. a human mind to an animal mind, but just the, the clear and cognizant nature can't be discontinued. Yes, likewise, Everything like thermos and others, although they do not have a clear and cognizant nature, they have the nature of a physicality. Yeah, and that and that, that nature of physicality. So there's some substance that continues, mm -hmm. but it doesn't continue in the in the similar type of object. Yeah, and so it can it came from let's say a big bang, and it continues and. Maybe it absorbs into another black hole, but so there is some continu continuum of physicality there. 
Yeah. So when the when the Tibetans talk about the eons and one eon, there is totally nothing. Yes. You know, I don't know how you can. Well, if if all the material things took part in another universe, maybe that would be okay. There has to be some some continuity of substance, or. E equals MC2, the mass goes into energy and yes. then comes out of energy. I think there, the nothingness case doesn't mean absolute nothingness, but rather kind of transforming into some kind of energy or something like that. Yeah, it's confusing when it says it is, nothing. Yeah. yeah. One one comment, if, if I may make, uh, I heard His Holiness the Dalai Lama make this case. Uh, yes, it is yeah. okay. Uh, yeah. In in the case of clear light mind, mm -hmm. apart from uh, speaking of the subtle subtlest mind being clear in its nature and whatnot, it is also the source of source of everything. Mm -hmm source of everything uh, that comes very often in the tantras in right the tantra, yeah. and he he clearly makes a case that that source of uh, that uh, reference that statement of its being source of everything is very, uh, more subtle than more subtle and more significant than things being empty of inherent existence mm -hmm. and also more subtle and different from saying uh, mind saying uh, that in the case of Chitta Matra, mind uh, things are mental projection, mm -hmm. or in our general statements in the Dhamma, Dhammapada, uh, things originate from mind. mind yeah. He says that that's very different from yeah. what that statement is. So so in the clear light, subtle clear mind and its accompanying energy, this the the entire source, yeah. although we are not speaking of just one, but each, each individual's uh, clear light mind maybe uh, is the source of uh, everything. So that's uh, that's the reason why I was saying when we speak of the the kelva the kelva of nothingness mm -hmm. is not absolute nothingness, but mm -hmm. rather re almost like reverting back into its very subtle sources. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Except they don't they don't say that. <laughs> yeah, because when they talk about the different kalpas, it's not in the context of tantra. Yeah, yeah definitely. It's just in the context yes, yes, of Yeah. Yeah. Regular. Okay. Very good. So, we'll stop here. So think about what you heard. <laughs> and then uh, there's a note that uh, this class will pause for a while starting October 7th. <laughs>